Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast this week with Vineyard Church Cardiff. This week we are starting a new series, A Praying Life. This is part of our Live Like Jesus Discipleship Framework. And James is kicking us off today with the first part. Great to be with you today. We're starting a new series. You know how much I love a new series. And we've called it A Praying Life. So we're going to be taking a break from Philippians for a few weeks until after Easter, and then we're going to come back into it again. Now, A Praying Life, I I love the title because it's so holistic. And I think it does a really good job of just explaining exactly what I desire. I'm like, yes, I want a praying life. I want to be a man of prayer. And, And I've taken this title from a great book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller and You can get it if you want to read it alongside. It's got some brilliant stuff in it. But this series fits as part of our discipleship uh, framework here at Vineyard Church Cardiff, Live Like Jesus. And so ultimately, we want to be a people that keep growing in our faith. And so we're going through different rhythms and different practices in order to keep stretching ourselves to keep growing. So if you think over the last year, we've been through a number of different things. We've been through Shaped by the Word, looking at the scriptures, we've been advancing the kingdom, uh, pursuing holiness. And so this is our fourth series in the Live Like Jesus series. And so just a quick reminder, Live Like Jesus, that's what we're trying to do. Be with Jesus, do what Jesus did. And it's almost like two pedals as we spend time with him and then we outwork it, spend time. And then in the middle, we've got the power, the transformation of the Holy Spirit driving this whole process so that it's not just works, but it's the Holy Spirit. Be with Jesus, do what Jesus did. So coming back to a praying life, let me just set up the series for a moment. Luke 11 verse 1 says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. So the disciples were coming to him and they're like, we've been looking at your life. It's amazing. How do we do what you do? Teach us. And so they must, I think they would have been struck by a number of things. The first one would have been just the intimacy that Jesus had with God the Father. They were like, wow, uh, the, the intimate communion between the Father and the Son. So I think that would have struck them. I also think they'd been watching Jesus for a period of time and they would have known and seen the authority that he had as well, that when he prayed for the sick, people got healed, um, that he prayed for breakthrough. So they would have seen this authority, this intimacy in his life, and they're like, Jesus, we want what you've got. How do you do this? Uh, So they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus, borrowing from Jewish prayers, offers them what we would call the Lord's Prayer. And it's a shortened form here in in Luke's Gospel from the Matthew passage. And we find it's fuller expression in Matthew 6. But it says this. He says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. It's really short, isn't it, the Lord's Prayer? But I think the funny thing about talking to some Christians is that, and we we might even have it ourselves, is we think, do you know what? James, I know the Lord's Prayer. And we think somehow that we reach the point where we graduate the Lord's Prayer. We don't. We never graduate the Lord's Prayer. It's the foundational teaching on prayer that we return to again and again and again. We keep coming back to it. 
We never graduate beyond the Lord's Prayer. Instead, it's our foundation, it's our bedrock. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be unpacking the Lord's Prayer, different sections of it. But I wanted to start with a question about prayer as as we start. If prayer is so foundational, why do we find it so difficult? If prayer is so foundational, why do we find it so difficult? For many people, prayer or the discussion of prayer reminds us of tests. <laughs> Something that's like, oh, it's a test. And maybe I failed. Maybe spiritual standards that we haven't quite measured up to. And so you mentioned that word prayer and there's all, almost immediately a little bit of guilt. It's like, oh, someone comes up to you and they, they just ask this question. How's your prayer life? Or what's God been speaking to you about in prayer? Which is a great question. But the typical reaction for many people whether you're talking about people who are brand new into church, all the way to small group leaders, or indeed even pastors can be this feeling of shame. Oh, I failed. <laughs> uh, I often hear it as we're sharing in small group and stuff like that. Oh, I just need to pray more. And that is not wrong. That is, a, that is a good desire. But it's interesting that it often comes out of this place of shame. The answer to the question, how's your prayer life? How is your time with God? is for most people, if they're honest, there's almost this hanging their head in embarrassment. And they say, oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm just a bit rubbish at it. I even managed to get up this morning. I set my alarm early and then I went to pray and I fell asleep. What about you? How do you feel as I begin, you know, a series in prayer and you even use that word prayer? Do you feel a bit of shame regarding your devotional life or weakness in your prayer life? For for many people, prayer is a standard that we fail to meet. For many people, prayer can seem like a burden or even an obligation that we have to perform. I know I ought to pray. I've you, you, we, we might even do this. I've heard the great stories of the Christians in the past, like Martin Luther, who prayed for three to four hours every day. And he said that when he was extra busy, he always took more time to pray. I know the stories of great saints who took half of their day in prayer. I ought to pray more. I should pray more. But when it comes right down to it, prayer feels like another heavy burden or an obligation. It's not very enjoyable. Or maybe if we're really honest with ourselves, many Christians, you know, it comes to the evening and they're sitting there being like, oh, I I should pray but there's this film on, you know, it's like I could pray or I could watch this film. How do you feel about this whole subject of prayer? Worst of all of our misconceptions might be that prayer is almost a badge of holiness, a badge of pride. And there are very few people that seem to succeed at this thing called prayer and they advertise that they've read all the books and they've gone on all of these spiritual retreats, they've read all of these medieval mystics and they let it slip quite often that they pray a lot. I I was in my prayer closet again this morning and it's just like, oh, it can be a way for some people to lift themselves up above other people. Pete Gregg says this in his great, he's written so many brilliant books on prayer, all of which I found deeply inspired, Red Moon Rising, um, Dirty Glory, Teachers to Pray. He uh, heads up the 24-7 movement and, you know, there'll be lots of bits of Pete throughout this or some of his teaching on this because I think he's really, really helpful. But he says this, you wake up one morning thinking, is this 
really all there is to knowing the creator of 100 billion galaxies? You read the book of Acts and you ask, why isn't it like this anymore? Your world falls apart and you desperately need a miracle and you stare up at the stars and feel things bigger than religious language. And you say to yourself, if this thing is true, there's got to be more power, more mystery, more actual personal experience. And so finally you turn to God, half wondering whether you're any more than half serious and say, Lord, teach me to pray. And he replies, I thought you'd never ask. I thought you'd never ask. So I'm excited that we're going to be in this prayer series for for more than just a couple of weeks. It's easy to to do a two-parter on prayer. But actually, we're going to be in this for seven weeks. They often say that it takes quite a period of time in order to begin to change habits, whether to break habits or to add new habits. 40 days is often something that's used, but um, we're actually going to be in it for longer than that. But as I begin this series on prayer, I want to ask you to try really, really hard to get rid of this association that I've just spoken about with prayer being a test or a standard that you can fail. I want to ask you to try as hard as possible to get rid of any association of prayer with an obligation or a duty that you're supposed to fulfill, but you don't because it's a burden. I think that we need some mindset shifts It's like, is the way that we're thinking about prayer the wrong thing? It's like, Lord, change our mind. And in this beginning one, I'm opening up. I'm like, teach us to pray. Lord, I want to have a praying life. That's what we're talking about. I want to develop rhythms and postures and communion with you that will last the rest of my life. And Lord, I want to press into this. I'm calling our church into a season of prayer, a time of prayer, And you might say, oh, do you know what, James, I've tried this before. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've been through different seasons of prayer. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. We keep trying. We want to keep pressing in because we want to learn. We want to grow. Teach us to pray, Lord. Let us go to a deeper level with our prayer lives. Let's commune with you more regularly, not just in set moments, but throughout the day. But even if you feel that you're like, oh, do you know what, I haven't got my prayer life sorted, We need to know what good prayer looks like and feels like in order to begin to develop a praying life. Luke 1, 11 verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. It's like he was going to this place. He kept going back to this place. And it's really helpful, isn't it, to begin to develop a place where you go to be with the Lord, where you begin to, so you might have a favorite chair or a favorite place that you return to. Jesus went to a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So as I've been thinking about this, prayer can come from so many different angles. There's so many different long words that you can use when talking about prayer, you know, supplication, adoration, petition, you know, they're not all that long, but you you know, there's lots of different words that we can use. And so I was sitting down with the preaching team as we were preparing and I was like, oh, if we were to put prayer in some kind of framework, do you know what I mean? What would it be? You know, how how could we do something that kind of describes some of the different facets of prayer? Because it's really easy to just concentrate on one aspect of prayer, but actually we want to open open it up and it's like, it's a praying life. It's all aspects. And so this is, this is our best summary of where we got to. These three words, presence, partnership, and power. Presence, partnership, and power. And what I found really interesting as I've reflected on a word that I gave to the evening service that I then gave to the leaders about what the Lord wants to do in this next season, that two of the words 
that I feel that God wants to do in this next season are, are in this thing of prayer. So I had this picture of a tornado coming straight through the center of our church. And I was like, Lord, what are you doing? And this tornado was full of God's presence and his power. So coming back, those two things, presence and power. And I also talked about partnership as well. But prayer is both incredibly simple and deeply complicated. Do you ever think that about prayer? I do. On the one level, it's as simple as, oh, it's relationship with God. You know, it's just having a relationship with God. And then you've got the whole subject of unanswered prayer, of disappointment, of what happens when something that we pray for doesn't happen. Is it not in line with God's will? There's a whole load of different questions. But I want to just go through these presence, partnership and power, because I think it's really helpful. So the praying life is presence. And what it feels like is a dinner with good friends. One of my favourite things in life is mealtimes with good friends. It could be with family, it could be with friends. But when you're sitting down together and you're sharing some food and one moment you are laughing so hard, you've got the belly ache because you're laughing so hard and it's really funny. And then the next moment somebody is sharing something deeply vulnerable about their life and they're giving you a window into their soul and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. But you've moved from laughter into deep moment and then, you know, you finish the food and you kind of clear the plates away and then you just sit there and you have a glass of wine or a coffee or whatever your drink of choice is and you just spend time together. You just enjoy one another's company. There's no particular agenda. There's listening and talking and laughing. And if you experience the same thing with good friends or with family, you know that it's like a little touch of heaven. And when Jesus describes the intimacy he wants with us, he talks about joining us for dinner. I love this in Revelation 3 verse 20. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Eating with Jesus, being present with him. But a praying life feels like dinner with good friends or peaceful family. And I've put that word peaceful family because family isn't always peaceful. Because prayer at its heart is all about relationship. It's intimate and it hints at eternity. Now, we don't think about communication or words, but about who we're talking with. And prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Now, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying and not on God. It's like this, this focus is, oh, teach us to pray. I've got to do this certain thing rather than our focus is God. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. Conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. Does that make sense? In my experience, it's about being present to him. His presence is found in so many different ways. The passage says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. He's, he had to go away to be present to God. And we can be present to him in all sorts of different environments as we're washing up, as we're walking, as we're working, all of these things. Brother Lawrence has a book, a little tiny book called Practicing the Presence of God, which I, I find such a helpful image. And it's really short, but he's just like, in whatever we do, in whatever way, Throughout the day, we are practicing his presence, that we live with him moment by moment, being present. So that's his presence. So that's the first thing. The second one is the praying life is partnership. 
I love this um, quote by Corrie Ten Boom. It says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? So coming back to this, if you were to take this quote from Corrie Ten Boom, it's like your spare tire is kind of out of the way, it's never used, or the steering wheel is like, actually it's that partnership, it's the directional piece around how you spend time with him. Because prayer is all about relationship. We can't work on prayer as just an isolated part of our life. It would be like going to the gym and working out just your left arm. You know, look at me, I'm a man that goes to the gym a lot. I work out, but no. So you're just like, I'm gonna go down the gym and I'm just gonna work my left arm. And then you're like, wow, look at the size of that left arm for the rest of you. Or for the people that forget to, I always think this is funny, when their upper body is absolutely massive, but they forget to work on their legs and they've got chicken legs. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But um, I don't know why I'm talking about it. So I could probably just do with starting somewhere. But um, many people's frustrations with prayer come from working on prayer as a discipline in the abstract. We don't learn to pray in isolation from the rest of our lives. Since a praying life is interconnected with every part of our lives, learning to pray is almost identical to maturing over a lifetime. What does it feel like to grow up? Well, it's a thousand feelings on a thousand different days. And that's what learning to pray feels like. You don't ex just experience God, you get to know him. You submit to him, you enjoy him, you partner with him. He is after all a person. Consequently, a praying life isn't something that you accomplish in a year. Or even, you know, we do our prayer series for 40 days or, you know, the period of Lent and we're like, done, sorted, prayer. It's like, no, this is the foundational discipline that we go on, interconnectedness with God, communion with God, relationship with God, partnership with God. Partnering with the Holy Spirit is learning to hear his voice, learning to hear his leading, not just being present, but being led, being guided. And an image that I always found really helpful when I think about this partnership piece is in imagining a dance between us and the Lord. But ultimately, the Lord is always leading the dance. And the problems come when suddenly we want to take over, we want to be in charge. It's like, no, 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 he is in charge and there is this dance and it's beautiful and it's in partnership and we work together, but he is always in charge. And so you've got presence and you've got partnership. And then finally, you've got this power piece. Mark Batterson, who's written a great book called The Circle Maker, all about powerful prayer. He says, there's nothing God loves more than keeping promises answering prayers, performing miracles and fulfilling dreams. That is who he is and that is what he does. And Mark Batterson's book is all around drawing circles and it's really beginning to petition God for things that you want to see shift. Uh, and it's this power aspect. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And prayer is this powerful piece because if you just have... Um, presence and partnership, then, then we miss this powerful bit where it's like God changes things, that prayer is powerful. We had a beautiful moment in our staff meeting this week where we share stories as part of what we did, but for about half an hour, there was just story after story after story of God's power breaking in. Um, just a few things. There was an incredible back being healed testimony that had happened in the church. There was, they were talking about open door and how there had been a couple of ladies from Hong Kong who'd given their lives to the Lord down at Open Door. And what was even more amazing is not just that that had happened, but actually there was another guy there 
who um, was from Hong Kong also, and who spoke uh, the language. And so he was, going to, he was going to spend the next year discipling these ladies. And so that was God's provision, God's power breaking in. Stories of people encountering God's presence in our services, being there for the first time, having been invited. Someone from our Tiadva house getting offered an incredible job, being able to move to the next stage. One of the staff sharing a story about how their child had just committed their lives to, life to Jesus and that they'd given their life to the Lord. And so we're just sitting there listening story after story about God's power breaking in. All of these different aspects, presence, partnership, power. And the danger is we reduce it too small. That's my best job at being able to describe it anyway. But Pete Gregg, in his book, Teach Us to Pray, mentions the best bit of advice that he ever received about how to pray. And as is often the case with Pete, the best piece of advice that he ever received is probably the best piece of advice that I've ever received as well. And he gives three things that I think are really foundational. And again, the things that I'm setting up in this talk will run throughout the series. This is not just kind of a one-hit moment. We're going to come back to these. But this, this model... He says this, keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. How do we keep it simple when prayer can be so confusing and hard? How do we keep it real when there's so much hype and hypocrisy in our world and in ourselves? And how are we to keep it up when, let's be honest, sometimes we all feel like giving up? How do we do these things? And so I just, just a couple of thoughts on this before I come in to finish. Keep it simple. Keeping it simple, Jesus warns us specifically about getting overcomplicated in prayer. This is your father, father that you're dealing with, and he knows better than you do what you need. And with a God like this loving us, we can pray very simply. And what I love when you come back to the Lord's Prayer is that what do we teach our children when we're trying to teach them to pray? We teach them the Lord's Prayer. And I mentioned this earlier, we never graduate beyond the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer is 31 words in its original language, and, and it rhymed as well. So basically, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he writes them a poem. And he writes them something really, really simple. As Archbishop Justin Welby says, the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorised by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. That's true, isn't it? I remember when I was younger, we used to say it in assembly. At school, every day, we used to say the Lord's Prayer. And the danger is you can get into a pattern where you're just repeating something that you're not really listening to. But actually, there's something really powerful about having prayers, about having liturgy, about having things that we come back to daily. I think in, in our desire in the Western world to kind of move away, to not be controlled, to not have anything, the danger is we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's like, no, this prayer is so foundational. In Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, when you pray... This is about keeping it simple. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. We need to keep it really, really simple. Secondly, keep it real. There's a beautiful parable, again, that helps to, to sum it up, and it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. Keep it real. Do you know what? We don't need to pretend. We don't need to pretend. Have you ever had a relationship, which it could be a friendship or maybe somebody that you went out with, where it's all pretense, that you never really, it's never real. It never gets to the point of you actually kind of saying anything meaningful about yourself, that, you're, that you've put this mask on, that you've got this facade, and the other person does as well. And it never gets below, below the surface. And I think that we do have relationships like this in, in our lives. God knows. He already knows everything about us. And so it's this hilarious concept, but we still do it, that we come before the Lord in a fake way and we don't really reveal ourselves. Um, and we do that for lots of different reasons. But, and there is a danger that we become like that with the Lord, but we've got to keep it real. The, the Bible is way more honest than the church and indeed maybe even ourselves. I love the Bible for its honesty. Sometimes we feel like we need to be formal, but you read, I mean, just take the Psalms, which are just prayers before the Lord. Often there can be worship songs put to music as well, but they are uncomfortably real. You read them, you're like, wow, the emotion in this. David doesn't write them all, but quite a few of them pouring out of his heart. Psalm 51 is this prayer after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. I mean, listen to this. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Can you see how utterly real this is? David's not pretending. He's like, he, David's just undone. He realizes the magnitude of his sin. And he comes before the Lord. He's like, do not cast me from your presence. And he's saying, create in me a pure heart, O God. There's this, you feel the heat of David's desire in this place of desperation. We've got to keep it real. We've got to be real before the Lord. What, seem, what might seem to be our worst prayers may really be in God's eyes, our best prayers. Do you know what a beautiful prayer is? Help God. God, I need your help. God, you've got to break in. Because sometimes we've got nothing more than that. We don't have eloquent prayers. There's nothing eloquent in us. We're grieving, we're hurting, we're broken. And we come before the Lord, we're like, God, help, break in, do something. It's the realness, isn't it? God, some, this is C.S. Lewis, God sometimes speaks to us. So, no, sorry. God sometimes seems to speak to us most intimately when he catches us, as it were, off our guard. And then finally, keeping it up. 
Jesus told his parable, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This is Luke 18, verse 1. The persistent widow, and then it goes into this. I haven't got time to unpack that whole parable. But the widow keeps coming to the judge for justice. And eventually, because of her persistence, the judge, who doesn't love God or honor God, just turns around and he's like, okay. <laughs> no matter how simply and how honestly we pray, it's easy to lose heart and tempting to give up when it feels like our prayers aren't working when something's happening. And we will all have moments and seasons like this, times of grief when people pass away, times of frustration when people don't get healed, times of disappointment when we don't see breakthrough. And that's why it's not enough just to keep it simple and to keep it real. Just Jesus also says that we must always pray and not give up. We keep going and it's beautiful when we've been praying for something for a long time and then suddenly it's this persistence, suddenly you see it shift and you're like, oh, I thought that was never going to shift. I didn't realise that, that that was going to happen. I know in my own life a number of times I've seen that happen. Um, some really powerful moments of me and Jen for a long time seeing heartbreak in, in, a, in our story of seeing um, some of our children um, not come to term, you know, that they would die in, in, in the womb. And that was a deeply difficult moment. So we went on this journey where we lost four, four children. And in that moment, prayer was so hard because you're like, oh, do, do I keep hoping? Um, but actually the Lord in the midst of that time of deep grief and deep sorrow and deep disappointment to keep praying. And then, and I know it doesn't always work like this, but actually we were fortunate enough to see that shift and to see something really beautiful happen. And I know it doesn't always work like that, but that's a real part of our story of experiencing grief and knowing what it is to go through these difficult moments, but to keep, keep it up. And it's like to keep on praying. And it's like, Lord, I haven't seen breakthrough in this part of my life, but Lord, I'm going to keep praying. The most important part is to keep bringing our requests before God, to keep coming to him. So in finishing... It's his presence that we go after, partnership with him and his power. And then we keep it simple, we keep it real and we keep it up. Lord, as we enter this season of prayers, Lord, I've just opened things up. Lord, I want to pray the wind of your spirit upon us. Lord, that it's not just a nice talk, but that actually something connects in our heart. And we're like, yes. Lord, I want more of you. I want to know you better. I want to be in relationship with you. So Lord, some of the mindsets that we've had that have been unhelpful, break them in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.